You're listening to Thinking Within the Church with Andrew Ray Williams. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Thinking Within the Church. I'm Andrew Williams. So good to have you listening. This is a great episode for you to join on. This is actually probably my favorite episode that I've recorded with Joel so far, uh, particularly because of the perspective that Bonhoeffer has on service. He imagines and thinks about service in ways that we typically don't. He challenges a lot of our ways of thinking about it that I think are very needed, very applicable today as the Church of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to unleash this episode with, of course, our special guest, Dr. Joel Lawrence, who is a Diedrich Bonhoeffer expert. He did his PhD on Bonhoeffer, and so he has been our faithful guide and will continue to be for this episode and next as we begin to land the plane on this. But there's so much more insights to begin to dig into, and this episode is no exception. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our episode today. Well, Joel, welcome, and thank you so much for being with me again. I'm excited about this conversation, like I mentioned to you before we hit record. This uh, this chapter is is probably my favorite. There's so much stuff here to unpack, and so um, before we get into a lot of the things we want to talk about, I'd love for, to just kind of hit it to you and give us a kind of an overview of what this chapter is talking about, and then we can kind of get more specific into some of the things that uh, we really find really applicable today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Great to be back. I've been enjoying the conversation so far and look really looking forward to this one. Cause I, I agree. I think this is, this is a really profound chapter and um, it, it just, it just hit me different this time as I was reading back through it. Um, as I was saying before we started, I don't know that I've really read this chapter deeply prior to COVID and uh, political polarization, really the kind of the stuff that we've seen over the last few years of the life of the church and the real challenges for us. And I just think there's a lot here that is speaking to us and, and to our moment. And and it's it's not one of the chapters where you're going to find some of the Bonhoeffer's greatest hits quotes. Like it's not the most quotable of all the Bonhoeffers, uh, but it is definitely, a, a, I think, a really important reflection for us. So just a quick overview of the chapter, and then we can dive in a little bit more. It really breaks down into two parts. Uh, part one is uh, really a theological reflection on the biblical verse when the disciples come up to Jesus and they're asking about who's the greatest. Right. And he he kind of leads with this. Every church is going to have this this battle going on with it. Every community is going to have this battle rearing its head at some point in time. This question of, of who is the greatest, you know, this argument that the disciples have about which is the greatest, who is the greatest. Um, and he uses that to really go into a theological reflection on self-justification and the way that that plays out in the life of the church, and then contrasting that to justification by faith, this very Lutheran, Protestant idea. But I think what he does here in justification by faith, really connecting that to our spiritual lives is a, a theme that would be 
that I, it'd be great for us to talk through a little bit more. So that's the first part. And then the second part is uh, kind of thinking about what does service look like in the life of the church? And he walks through three different facets of that. And um, again, offering some practical stuff, but also some some pretty profound theological reflections on what it looks like for us to be a community of, of service. So, so that's kind of the, the big picture overview of the chapter. Yeah, that's super helpful, Joel. And uh, yeah, I think that it's it's helpful to kind of to put up those two parts. And and something that struck me is how unusual it is that a chapter on service would kind of he would frame it this way, right? Because yeah. he talks about service and much differently than we typically hear service talked about. Talked about, right? He yeah. he kind of approaches it from this place of relationships within a community but he drills down into the interiority of the individual and yeah. says, we actually can't truly serve one another without attending to these underlying things that oftentimes we don't talk about, right? Yeah. This competitiveness, this, this yeah. kind of domineering control. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's certainly not just kind of a behavior modification tips chapter, right? Like, like, you can be a better servant if you do X, Y, and Z. Yes. Um, it it really is a what is going on in the soul of Christians, in the soul of Christian community. What really is one of the primary enemies of life together? Um, and how does that keep us from being what we are called to be, which is a community of service? Because a community of service is a community that understands uh, our desperate need for God, our desperate need for God's mercy that puts us to death, that then brings us to life in our ability to be for others, to live for others, to serve others. So if you don't attend to the one, if you don't attend to what's going on in the human soul, particularly in the way that this competitiveness and this uh, judgmentalism plays out in the Christian community, if you don't get to that, you can have all kinds of tips for being a better servant, but but the root isn't being addressed. So so as I said, he he really roots this in the question of self-justification and justification by faith. He talks about this competitiveness as a major disruptor of Christian community, that when we are in a, a self-justifying mode, what we are trying to do. And we don't really know that we're trying to do this, right? This is the insidious nature of the flesh and sin. It just kind of can play out in ways that we're not really fully understanding. But but what we're trying to do is elevate ourselves above others out of this desire to self-justify, to, to declare to ourselves and to others in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways that we are important. And that kind of drive for our own establishment of our importance gets really sideways in the Christian church really fast. It can create these competitive uh, relationships. We can start to classify each other based on, you know, our, our, what kind of gift do they have compared to what kind of gift do I have? Um, who is whose will is checking my 
will, right? I want a certain thing to be true about this church. I want a certain thing to be done in this church. Who's in the way of that? How do I deal with that person? Ultimately, I think what he's putting his finger on is as long as we see others in the church as competitors to our own agenda, there is no true Christian community that can arise in that. And this is, you know, as Jesus tackles the disciples' questions or, or their argument about which of them would be the greatest, he comes straight at that with that is the exact wrong and that is a, a pagan mindset to have if you're going to be in my community. My community isn't about who's the greatest. Certainly not the way you think about it. My community is about those who recognize our need for God's grace, who who have given ourselves over to that need, and out of that give up this self-justifying project that then frees us from wanting to control other Christians and wanting to manipulate the people around me for my own ends. And now I can start to see myself in the light of how God has seen me, which is a sinner, the greatest of sinners. He has this, this section in there where he talks about, we all need to think of ourselves as the greatest of sinners. And, and I think there's something really interesting going on there because he doesn't quite say it this way, but as I read it, what he's saying is the insidious thing about our sin is we can even use our sin to be a way that we elevate ourselves. Like I can, I can be, yeah, I'm a sinner. I can look at that and see, yeah, I, I, I get it. I'm a sinner, but I'm not as much a sinner as that guy. And because I'm not as much of a sinner as that guy, I'm actually using my sin to elevate myself in the self-justifying work. And that for Bonhoeffer is the enemy of Christian community because it is the opposite of the mind of Christ. It's the opposite of justification by faith which is to receive the gift of God's kindness and grace and mercy based not upon ourselves, but upon, upon him. And mm -hmm. so when we grasp that, what that can do to really profoundly change our demeanor, our bearing within the Christian community, I, I think is, is very significant. Yeah, that's, that's super helpful, Joel, because yeah, it's it's almost like he's he's putting his finger on the fact that you actually can't serve one another the way that we've been called to serve, right? right. With all of this underlying competition, desire to control, desire to manipulate. And yeah. it's funny because I think we would think that maybe we could, right? Because we can go out and, you know, serve at our local food bank or serve in in some other capacity and have our hearts hard. But but Bonhoeffer yeah. says that there's something distinct about Christian service that yeah. is very different than the kind of ways that we think about serving out in the quote unquote the world, right? Because yeah. it's again going back to what we've talked about throughout the series, but it's it's under the word, under Jesus Christ, and in yeah. and through Jesus Christ. So it has to be in that kind of spirit. And so, you know, what what kind of impact does this make on our service? Um, when we, when we view it that way. Yeah. So uh, I, I 
I think it's this is an important thing to to dig into a little bit that that will get us um maybe in a bit more of the the breadth of Bonhoeffer's theology um of how he views the human condition that we need to be saved from right that's really vital to understand for him the human condition that we need to be saved from is that back in Genesis 3 uh Adam and Eve rebelled against God by taking on the knowledge of good and evil. What that is, is a statement of autonomy, right? A, a statement that we are going to be independent of God and we're going to look to ourselves to provide our own moral bearing and our own moral resources. And, and he says we can do that. And we can, through the knowledge of good and evil, we can do good. Humanity, apart from Christ, can do good things. We, we can do service. We all know people who are followers of Jesus who are good people. What he is talking about here is something very different than just kind of doing good for others. He, he's talking about a profound change in our own selves, which moves us out of the kind of calculus of good and bad into the righteousness of God, which we can't do. That's not ours to generate. We we can generate good works, good acts. Humans apart from Jesus can do that. What no one can do, what no other community can do, that the church can do, is live truly in the righteousness of God, which is a crucifixion of the self. It's no longer about me kind of navigating between the good and the bad and, and me trying to do more good than bad or, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's now about me dwelling and resting in the righteousness of Christ, which really does cut to the core of who we are. I mean, that, that really is the salvific work of the cross and that, must necessarily profoundly change the way that we view each other in the church and the way that we as the church view the world around us. So it really kind of takes this sort of general morality out and trying to encourage us to be more generally good and, and more generally serve others to a much deeper, much more profound cross-shaped vision of what it means to be the church. And, and when we do that, we just, we start to see each other differently. Um, we, we, we start to engage with one another differently. There, there's a quote in, in the chapter that we both had highlighted and talked about, and just thinking it fits well here he writes this, God did not make others as I would have made them. God did not give them to me so that I could dominate and control them, but so that I might find the creator by means of them. And as I read this, it just jumped out at the page. I, it did the same for you as you were reading this. At what a profound shift that is. If we really understand it, and if by God's grace and the spirit of God, that really took root in our communities, that anytime I'm at church or I'm gathered with people in my church community, 
I am looking to find the creator by means of them, not recreate them as the way I want them. We recreated, not control them, manipulate them, not even just see them as objects of my service that I can do on their behalf, but rather we are people who are created by God, not meant to control one another, not working to manipulate one another, not trying to change you into the vision that I think you should be, but being present with each other in the grace of God and seeing each other as the means by which we come to know the creator. I think that just has a depth to it that takes us well below kind of moralistic tips for how to serve each other better to the theological nature of the church out of which then service to each other is vital and just flows from this kind of understanding of ourself and each other and our need for, for God's grace. Yeah, that's, it's, you're exactly right, Joel. And I, you know, there's two things kind of popping in my mind as you're talking. And as I read this, you know, one thing, what you're talking about first is about, I think it's worth highlighting the fact that sometimes we think about sanctification in terms of just growing in Christ, becoming more like Christ yeah. in the fact that our behavior just becomes better, right? It's, it's, it's modified. And so, you know, within, within different Christian traditions, there's this, there's more like some would say a more positive sense of um, who we become. Like we're more like a saint and some will even go as far to say, well, we don't need to call ourselves sinners anymore. And then there's right. others yeah. like, no, I'm always a sinner. And I think what's, What's really underlying this, and this is what Bonhoeffer points his finger on, is the fact that we actually never own those things. Because if we did, yes. if we could, then we could say somehow we contributed something to it yes, rather than it right. being God's word, Jesus Christ, working in and in working it out in us and simply us yes. yielding to Jesus is what is actually taking place. So we remain a sinner and we look at our sins and say it's worse than anybody else's, but it's like kind of what the apostle Paul says, I'm the greatest sinner, but I can yeah. still boast, but I can boast yes. because of what Christ has done. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Paul, he's, he's talking about being the greatest sinner in the midst of his reflection on his apostolic ministry, but he's called to be an apostle, right? He's yes. called to be Paul as he recognizes I am the worst of sinners that is the mechanism by which he can also accept the grace of God that then compels him to serve the church, to serve the, the kingdom of God. And so I think you're right. We can get stuck in one, like there to say I'm the worst of sinners is not then to say you'd stay in that kind of self hatred or wallowing in that sin. That's not what's going on here at all. This isn't like a psychological attack on ourselves. It's a recognition of our need that is profound, but that that profound need has been met by an even more profound provision of God's grace and accepting that and letting that really come in and shape us and form us in ways that we can't do through behavior modification. Yes. Uh, and, and and this is, a, a I think, again, kind of a broader thing I've learned from Bonhoeffer is just how 
insidious behavior modification is in the life of the church and how how damaging it is because yes. it takes us away from grace yep. it takes us away from god and and again this theme that we've been talking about throughout of christ is at the center of the church christ is living and active in the church christ is the primary agent of my growth not me yes I've got to put myself in certain places and positions to receive from Christ, but I'm not responsible for my sanctification. Yeah. I, I'm that's not mine to own. It's Christ's. I have a responsibility and a role in that. I'm not a passive participant, mm -hmm. but I'm not the primary participant. Yeah. And, and I, I think this elevation of the person of Christ in the life of the church that at a theological level is so elementary and yet in the way it plays out in, in the, the, the church's life, I think we just so easily get, get sidelined from that. And, and, and again, it, it roots back to this self-justification and how kind of moral behaviorism can really become an action of self-justification. And that will lead us to this competitiveness who, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? And we're competing for that role that over and over Jesus tells us, I know I've, I've come to set you free from that whole thing <clears throat> so that you can live in the goodness and kindness of, of the grace of God. Yes. And, and if there's one thing that too, that I, that I would like to just kind of highlight out of this quote that you read that we both resonated with is that one 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 way my mind went was when he says, you know, um, God didn't give them to me so I could dominate control them, but that I fi might find the creator by means of them. This is, and I I think that oftentimes in church life, when there there are difficulties, there are disagreements, and oftentimes yeah. we see those as. And I'm talking personally here as a pastor, and I, and, but I know this is a case for, for people that are not pastoring, but just in the life of the church, we can see those as actually hindrances of God's mission, right? right. But that may be God's mission for us, that because we actually can't become formed into the image of Jesus without each other, not just because we're constantly... Um, you know, encouraging each other, but we're actually having that friction that yeah. sharpens us. It's actually that conflict that God is using to grow us. And rather than being a, a detraction from our, uh, detracting from our growth, it's actually the means by which we discover more of who God is in the midst of that. Yeah. I think that's really good. And he, he talks about um, kind of the importance of differences mm -hmm. in community and, and those, those differences do mean tension. They they do mean, they do mean a certain level of, of conflict that, that is going to be a, a part of our life, right? This, this isn't an idealistic vision. It is going to be a, a part of our life, but when he talks about differences there, he, he's talking about how, how differences can become a, a, a reason for rejoicing and serving that in that kind of difference that I find between myself and another or myself and, and the, the church community, I have a decision to make 
the, the decision to make is, will I use that difference as an opportunity for self-justification and trying to promote myself? Or will I use that, that difference and maybe the tension that comes from that as an opportunity to reflect on exactly what you're saying, which is God's work in this community to sanctify us, to crucify us, to put us to death. Mm-hmm. And and when that's the case, it's no longer than my difference with another is a reason for judgment over them. Rather, it becomes a reason for serving them. Now, I think there are ways that we can Christianly um, fight out the differences and opinions about things within the life of the church. It, we are going to have those things. But is my mindset in the midst of that going to be, I'm going to go to using this difference or using this debate as a means of my own willfulness through self-justification? Or will I receive it as a crucifying work of Christ in me? Will we together receive it as the crucifying grace of God in us through which we can find joy and the service of of one another in the laying down of our lives for each other. So I, I think it's, I think you're right. It's important to stress like there being tension in the church is a part of the deal. How we utilize that, how we respond to that. Do we use it as an opportunity for the flesh? Do we use it as an opportunity for the spirit? I think that really is the, yeah. the, the, the question that that we need to to do we would do well to really reflect deeply on the way we tend to respond the way we engage with the church community absolutely absolutely that's that's so helpful joel talk talk to us about kind of the the ways that uh bonhoeffer kind of approaches service and the the yeah. practices that come from that yeah yeah so in in the second part of of the chapter he he kind of makes this pivot to how do we serve each other, right? What what does what does this look like? And, and again, Bonhoeffer is not the kind of sort who's just gonna put a list of five things that you can do, and then you'll be a better Christian. Um, even in the quote unquote practical tips, he's doing some some pretty profound theological reflection. Um, there are there are three things that he points to. One is listening to others. Two is active helpfulness, and three is bearing with others. Um, I think the first and the third are, are really good opportunities for us to to continue to kind of dig into his theology. So, so listening to others, he puts this in the context of listening to God's word, which has been a, an important part early in the book and the, the day together, the day alone, how are we doing uh, in putting ourselves under the word of God? Um, and basically he makes the connection where he says, if you're not listening to your other other Christians, you are probably not listening to God. And, and the connection that he's making here is our primary stance as followers of Jesus is a listening stance. It starts with listening to the word of God. We're under the word. Christ's word is active among us. We're attending to him in the day together. We're attending to him in the day alone. We are attending to him. So we are a listening people. 
Uh, but then he makes that that kind of shift over to as those who listen to God's word, then we are shaped to truly listen to each other. And, and he has a, a, a quote in here where uh, he says this, Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. They will always be talking, even in the presence of God. So there's, again, a humility that's being described here. There's an an obedience to, to God that's being described here. There's a posture of the Christian that is being described here that that we're we're people who who listen and in listening to each other we're not listening so that we can kind of figure out a way to give our advice of what they ought to do we're not listening so that uh you know we can get information that we can then utilize to manipulate other people we're listening as ministers of the word in the priesthood of all believers we listen to each other so that we can minister God's word to each other. So there is a speaking that's involved here, but it's having the sense of my identity as a minister of the word of God, not as the, the pastor who's the minister of the word of God through preaching, but in the daily life of the priesthood of all believers we're ministers of God's word to each other so that when we talk and when I'm listening to you, I am reflecting on and wanting to speak back to you the word of God, not in a manipulative way, not in a controlling way, but but as the vessel, as the means of, of, God's, of God's spirit. And so he has another quote, uh, which I think kind of nails us. And is is on the nose. Many people seek a sympathetic a sympathetic ear and do not find it in many Christians because these Christians are talking when they should be listening. And that I think is a great opportunity for us to pause and yeah. to consider what is my stance as a listener. Yes, for sure. Uh, I think I think this is something again that Bonhoeffer surprises us with, but it's a it's a mm. pleasant surprise because we often don't think about listening as service. We think about right. He talks about how when we think about service, we think about offering something, which yeah. evident which right. puts us in the seat of the person talking. Yes, and even mm. challenges pastors or, or I think it's these preachers that. We often think that their only service is to offer something when right. in fact listening can be a greater service than speaking. Yeah. And and yeah. one more thing I think he says right after this is so so interesting. He says, but oftentimes, and I think this is this is true of me, if I'm just being totally honest, it can be easy when someone's talking to not actually be there but you're already yeah. in your mind thinking of your response yeah. and it says kind of giving a, a half ear to someone why yeah. do you think listening is so central to bonhoeffer and so important to service because i think he he connects our ability to listen to each other with our ability to listen to god 
And if we're not able to listen to each other, then we're probably only giving a half ear to God, which is a sign that we are trying to control the agenda. Yeah. If, if we can't sit in profound silence and listen to God, then what we're doing is we're formulating our agenda to give to God. And, and what he's saying is if that's what's going on in your life with God, that's going to be reflected. The symbol of that, the sign of that, the way that that can be seen is in your ability to be listening and attentive to fellow Christians. Because if we have this theological mindset of we're all under the word of God together, then as I'm listening to my Christian, I, I properly, I should be viewing that as this is an activity of listening to God and being a part in what God's doing in this person's life. And, and so if I am doing what you, what you said you do, and that I find myself doing way too often, uh, which is preparing my next statement or preparing my next argument or kind of formulating my tips or my advice that, well, if this person would just listen to me, it will change their life forever. Right. If I'm always doing that, then that that's a symbol that I'm trying to control the agenda. Yeah. And, and that, that giving up of control of the other in our Christian freedom, recognizing that, that your freedom demands that I not try to manipulate you and control you. Now, it's not an unfettered freedom. This is a Christian freedom disciplined by the word of God. But if I'm trying to do that to you, then I'm not serving you because my service to you is not my advice for you. My service to you is I'm present to you as a minister of the word of God. I'm a vessel of God's word in your life. And so again, that mindset of, of, a humble listening, a recognition of the word of God is present between us and among us. Our act of service is to be the vessels of God's word for each other. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So then I think that the, the second thing to talk about here is his thinking about bearing with others. Um, and, and, Again, um, this isn't kind of just a surfacey, you know, be patient with each other or or even put up with each other. Underneath of this idea of bearing, he gets into the forbearance of God with us, which ultimately then leads him to the place where he's constantly going, which is to the cross of Christ, that that God's forbearance of us is not just a putting up with us or a, a being patient with us. It, it is that, but what motivates that what's underneath of that is the profound love of God for us. That is demonstrated in the cross. The forbearance of God is demonstrating his willingness to suffer and to in, endure our human rebellion, rejection, our human sinfulness through taking that onto himself in the cross. So in, in his early theology, Bonhoeffer, his first book that he wrote as a doctoral dissertation um, called Sanctorum Communio, and then in his, his later work on the ethics, he has a, a theme that he develops that shows up in this chapter. It's It's not a kind of a lead theme, but it's lurking here. 
And it's this idea of the church is the community of the cross. Uh, in, in German, it's Kreuz, uh, Kreuzgemeinde, cross community. Right? We're, mm. we're the cross community. That is what is to shape our understanding of who we are, to shape our identity of ourselves. Now, we're also resurrection community. These aren't in contrast with one another. But, but in Bonhoeffer's theology, resurrection is what enables us to be the cross community. It doesn't end our being the cross community. It's not that you go cross, you go through that, you're done with it. Now you're going into resurrection and we're the resurrection community. No, the resurrection community is the community that's called to bear the cross. Yeah. And so these two why, things really, yeah, go ahead. And that, I was going to say, and that's, and that just what it seems like exactly what Paul says, right? That I can yeah. actually rejoice in my sufferings because I'm joining yes. in them of the resurrected Jesus. That's ex that's exactly right. And so I, I think we have the kind of linear idea of yeah. you go to the cross, you go through the cross, and then you get to resurrection. And we will be fully in resurrection one day and we'll be there because of the cross, but we won't be in the same kinds of of suffering and you know, bearing the sufferings of Christ and bearing with each other. That that will be removed, but that's not today. Today we are the resurrection community that that bears the cross. And and so the life of God comes into the church as we bear with one another, as we bear the cross on others' behalf. And this means for us um, that, that we have to view our freedom as a freedom for others, that my freedom is not for me. My freedom is not an individual selfish freedom. My freedom is to be for you and to allow you by God's grace and who got what God is doing in you to allow that to happen again, not try to con control that. Um, it is to acknowledge that there is sin in the community and that sin continues to cause havoc within the community. It breaks fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with each other. But what we do is we take on being Christ to one another as priests. We bear each other's sin. And quite, quite literally, he, he wants us to think about stepping into the, the work of Christ is not in the same kind of atoning way that Jesus bore our sin, but, but in that way of, of being forgiveness, uh, offering forgiveness to each other of, of being gracious towards one another, that that's a way that we, we bear sin with each other. And this is the service of forgiveness of our forgiving others because we recognize that we have been forgiven. So this important reflection on, on forbearance that takes us out of, again, a kind of a surfacey level thing into the depths of what God has done for us through Christ on the cross is I think really vital for the church today to understand what it looks like for us to be the community of the cross in our life with each other for each other and then for the world as that plays out in the church's service to the world yeah i i think what i what sticks out to me about what he's doing is i i think he's totally calling out so much of our moralism that would mm -hmm. just that that actually moralism in, in many ways can be our God. Right. And that actually, yeah. if that is our God, it will play out on how we actually address, like you said, real sin in the community. 
So yeah. for instance, yeah. if someone does fall into sin, he doesn't say to just turn a blind eye. In fact, actually he says, yeah. bear it with them yes. by, by actually even sometimes even correcting it, but for their sake. So not standing yeah. above them, but actually going to them and, and suffering it with them by bearing it yeah. and saying, let's bring this into the light. Yeah. And now if we just have kind of a, a moral lens of that, it is going to be a, a hand slap. You know, what are you doing? Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. It's but but rather he's actually getting into into the murkiness of that with people, which makes a total, total shift in how we it, think about correction and, and dealing with things in the church. And it makes a total shift if I know in deeply in my heart that I am the chief among sinners. Yes. And because I know that depth of my own fallenness and my own brokenness, my own profound need for grace, then I don't come, if it is a correction, I don't come out of a judgmentalism. I, I don't come That's out right. of a, I'm better than you. Yes. And I'm, or I'm going to control you through this. I come genuinely out of love and, and grace for the other to be a vessel of God's grace, to be a, a, a vessel of God's word of correction. But that word of correction is a forgiving word. It is not a condemning word. There is no longer condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no asterisk by that verse. If we belong to Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Therefore, our engaging with each other about our sin is not a condemnatory engagement. Yeah, It is always a forgiveness, gracious engagement. And going back to the beginning of the chapter, when we're deeply rooted in self-justification, inevitably what we're going to do is we're going to try to use other people's sin against them because that's the means by which I can elevate myself. Yeah. If we don't have that self-justifying mindset, we have justification by faith, the grace of God in our lives, then even admonition, uh, even that kind of, of confrontation uh, becomes a very different uh, a kind of a way that we're engaging with each other. It's it's about proclamation of the word. It's about ministering the word of grace and the that's word right. of forgiveness to each other. Yes, that's right. And um, as we both, uh, I think, highlighted this as well as we were talking, he mentions how this is counterintuitive to the ways mm -hmm. we envision good, quote unquote, leaders yeah. Or leading the church will actually do, right? He says on page 85 of the Fortress Press version I'm reading, the longing we so often have expressed today is for, he gives a couple names, one of them is authoritative personalities, often enough stems from a spiritually sick need to admire human beings and to establish visible authority because the genuine authority of service appears to be too insignificant. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Unpack that for Very us. Very powerful. Very powerful. And, and again, it gets back to the, in the first chapter where he's talking about mediated relationships versus immediate relationships, right? He says all of our relationships in the church are mediated through Jesus Christ. He stands between us. So in this conversation that you and I are having, Jesus stands between us recognizing that means that 
there is no immediate relationship. Immediate relationships are power moves. Immediate relationships are the way that we try to manipulate each other, the way that we we try to control each other. And I, I think a lot of times this is a, a problem within the Christian community of looking for authoritative personalities, looking for quote unquote strong leaders, because in one sense we can say, well, it's more effective to have a, a strong leader. They're gonna they're gonna be able to get more done. They're gonna be able to have more control over the life of the church. But that becomes very very dangerous when that immediacy is a bypassing of Jesus and what he's doing because mm. Jesus is inefficient. Uh, Jesus is not the guy who comes in and kind of is going to shape the community exactly the way that I want the community to be shaped. Jesus has freedom to do what Jesus wants to do, which profoundly challenges my autonomy and myself and my self-justification. And so when we, tr if we truly give over control of our community to Jesus, it may look really different than what I want it to look like. And it's more efficient and, and it feels like we're going to get more done if we just, let's bring in an authoritative leader or a group of leaders and, and they can get it done in a way that Jesus can't. And that's really what he's saying is we don't yeah. trust Jesus to do the work because our vision of what the work is, is different than Jesus's vision. And so we have this sense of what we think ought to happen. We entrust or we seek ourselves the leadership to make it happen. And what we're doing in that is we're running an end around, around Jesus yeah, and his presence and his work in the church. Yes, exactly. And, you know, not to put words in Bonhoeffer's mouth, because I don't think he's saying exactly this, but my reading of him, it's it's almost like he's challenging our forms of transactional leadership mm -hmm. towards a more transformational leadership Yeah, that actually doesn't just shut people up or, uh, or just says, hey, stop doing that, do this, right. but actually gets to the bottom of what it actually is that Jesus wants to transform. Yeah, I I think that's right. I I I think he he wouldn't have had the language of of transactional leadership or transactional relationships, but that is running all the way all the way through here. Is the other person is not an object of your control. The other the other person is not a project for you. The other person belongs to Jesus. Yeah. You belong to Jesus. Because of that, Jesus is Lord over your relationship. There is no transaction here. There is no using the other for my own will, for my own purposes. There is the release of the other into the hands of Jesus. And if we all do that for each other, we're all releasing each other into the hands of Jesus. Then we can be pursuing Jesus together in a way that if we're just holding on to our own manipulation and control, we're never going to be really pursuing Jesus as pious as it might look, as sanctified as it might look. It's not really what's happening. And that is, I think, what Bonhoeffer really wants us to be attending to is what's really actually happening at the spiritual core 
of our community. Um, is it that Jesus is operating here in his freedom? Or is it that we are seeking to control the community in subtle ways and not so subtle ways? So that that for me is kind of the continual check that that reading life together puts on my own life and my own thinking about my relationships and my family, my relationships in my church community, my relationships in my, my broader life with, with brothers and sisters in Christ and our relationship to the world. I mean, we, we, um, maybe we could get into this next week as we talk about confession and the Lord's supper. We haven't talked a whole lot yet in the series about the church's relationship to the world, mm, but I think, yeah. I think that might be a good thing for us to, to jump into in the next, in the next one. Cause I think that's profound too. Cause you talked about giving up control and manipulation and oh, yeah. oh, trying to hold on like what the church's relationship to the world is, is so controlling and manipulating and driven by power. I, I, I think we, we would do well to reflect on what a non-controlling, non-manipulative church in the world would look like in being witnesses of the grace of God. Well, Joel, that is a perfect setup and to whet the appetite of those listening for next time. Uh, but I think that would be great because I think it, we don't even have to really say much about that. That is a huge temptation for the church today. So um, that this has been so good, Joel. Thanks again for this and really look forward to next episode. Me too. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking Within the Church really means a lot. If you also don't mind to rate and review the show, that really does help get the word out. You can review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform of your choice. Thanks again, and hope to catch you next episode.